everyone. Thanks so much for joining us again this week on Women in Sustainability, Design the Future. We are back for another day of conversation. We're so happy to be here. Uh, hey, Kira, how's it going? Very well, thank you. How about you, Lindsay? How have things been? Uh, things are all right. Um, I have to say one of, the, one of my favorite parts of living in my home just happened, which is the beautiful hawk just soared right by our window like they hawks occasionally will come we, I live in the 20th story of a building um, that's right on Lake Merritt here in Oakland it's so gorgeous and like every once in a while we get these hawks that just come like within two feet of our window and it's and they're just majestic and they kind of hang out long enough that you have time to tell your person like hey look out there's a you know <laughs> there's a beautiful hawk right okay. next to us yeah, so it's nice. It's, it was a nice moment. Um, I sometimes I feel a little more removed from nature being so far off the ground, but then other moments it's like just incredible. So that that put me in a better mood, I'd say. Yeah, that's great. I just saw. It's interesting. We I recently saw one from my office window, which is pretty rare. We we were yeah. in the Oakland Hills, and we do see them occasionally, but it's it's very rare. We actually wish they would come more, and maybe work on the squirrel population. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can appreciate that. Hawks are our friends in many ways. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a thing that happens. Um, well, yeah, how, how have you been doing? What's up in your world? Just the usual, you know, um, working towards the end of this crazy year, I feel like it is, I don't know, maybe, I think there's a bit of relief in the air to feel the, to feel Q4 winding down, even though obviously the pandemic is not magically going to be over <laughs> yeah. for a while. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I'm think, feeling that too. Yeah. yeah, it seems like that's the that's the tone lately amongst a lot of folks. Yeah, it's also one of those seasons. I was actually listening to a piece this morning on snow days and whether or not schools are going to have snow days during, uh, you know, during the time when kids are 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 learning virtually anyway. Um, and and it was uh, there were a lot of people saying like, no, we still need snow days because it's this time to be. Um, you know, like cozy with your family to like take the pressure off. A lot of kids are, be, you know, spending too much time in front of screens these days. So like there's a, there's a movement of people who want to continue snow, <laughs> day. snow day, despite <laughs> the fact that, I, guess, I mean, I guess there are some folks who like teachers maybe who have to commute somewhere to get good access to internet and all of that. So there's some real reasons why snow days need to keep going. But I also just, yeah, it was sort of making me think about how this is that time um, when there's a lot of, I don't know, just sort of internally focused, family focused, like coziness stuff happening that um, is what 2020 has just already been for us. And so it feels right. a little bit more, um, more uh, uh, the natural course of things um, to, than, right. than the rest of the year when we couldn't, you know, go out and have boisterous summertime activities and all of that. Sure. So yeah, yeah, I'm feeling that as well. Um, yeah, it's also just interesting watching the sort of ebb and flow of the professional world uh, in this past year. You know, it, it feels like, um, at least for me, the election sort of was an inflection point um, that uh, I, I've heard from multiple people 
the week after the election was this like unleashing of activity yeah um because somehow just maybe just the accumulative uh, anxiety of everybody wondering what was going on and maybe for some people spending a lot of their spare time on volunteering or whatever it was yes like that it just you know it changed after the election and so i i'm feeling like the end of 2020 has been this very busy time um but maybe it is it's hopeful it's it's, it's a positive busy um, yeah i think that's know. right there's a lot of yeah. there's a sort of anticipatory sense to it i think there's also a lot of things got delayed and sort of held up during the year so lots of things have sort of slid into q4 maybe yeah yeah. Um, so that plus this anticipation of being able to kind of turn some corners soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. Although I think it is probably important for us to recognize just, I mean, the peak of the pandemic is upon us again and in yeah. ways that are so tragic. So I, I want to, you know, yep. <laughs> I think we we have, I, I have those moments in my day of just like the sheer sense of loss and tragedy of everything happening right now um, in America, especially it's so difficult to compare the the fatalities in the U.S. compared to other countries and just how much we are failing each other, you know, in, yes. in, in this moment. It's, it's very difficult. So I don't want to, I don't want to forget, I don't want to somehow not mention that part of the emotional landscape of our, of our time right now. Um, it is, no, you're absolutely you know, right. It's, it's, yeah. it's terribly grim. And it's in fact, even with vaccines on the horizon, it is in fact, you know, the work, it is far worse than it has been in yeah. the worst parts before. So it, it, that's why it's sort of like, I feel like the corners are coming, but we're not <laughs> quite there yeah. yet. We're definitely yeah. Suffering is continuing and is in fact expected to worsen, I yeah. think, in many yeah, parts of the exactly. country before yeah. we're done, which is terrible. Um, and, you know, just seeing how the health care system is trying to weather this and all of those people and thinking about, I mean, the months and months and months of heavy lift that they've been doing on our behalf yeah. is yeah. Just a lot. Yeah, I was, uh, I will admit, like, I cried a little bit. I was reading the uh, the first vaccines given to people in the UK, and they gave them to these, like, elderly folks, including one who just happened to be named William Shakespeare, which is crazy, anyway. <laughs> um, but just, like, see, you know, it was really, like, it did, it was, it was a cry of relief, I guess, to see, yeah. like, an elderly woman had <laughs> gotten the vaccine. And I know it's an oversimplification of what the vaccine really is and how this is all going to change. Yep. But I'm sort of hoping by the time people are listening to this particular podcast, uh, which should be in mid-January, that maybe we in America will be starting to have our own stories of people getting vaccinated um, for the first time. And um, that, that we will be uh, feeling that corner a little bit more <laughs> viscerally. You know, um, this reminds yeah. me, Lindsay, of an article I read a few weeks ago. It was in The Atlantic by Graham Wood, and it was about this um, this guy, Peter Turchin. He's a former ecologist who is now using like mathematical models to study patterns in history, which is mm -hmm. not necessarily something that historian, historians completely endorse or <laughs> support. Um, <laughs> yeah. But his predictions and his predictions for the coming five or 10 years are are quite grim. I mean, apocalypt 
apocalyptic fiction, which I've been reading and reporting on here a little bit, is one thing, climate-based and otherwise, but um, the nonfiction version of that is is quite something else. Um, and I'm still mm -hmm. processing what he's talking about, but it did make me think a lot about something that we talk about on this podcast quite a bit. Um, I mean, we're, <clears throat> we're talking about design the future and what that looks like. And this article kind of gave me pause about how we think about that future and, and um, the climate science and, and math models are instructive, even if they're not certain, because one of the great challenges is really to use systems thinking to look at these possible futures and think yeah. about how to design into them um, in ways that can create jobs and community, let communities thrive, even as we adapt to climate change and mass migration and all these other things, including infectious disease, which are becoming more common and will become more common as part of climate change that is already underway yeah. and that is already in fact baked in to the warming that yeah. we have, you know, done. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm going to go read that piece. I did not see it. Um, but, but I do really, I, I think it's so important. I mean, we talk a lot about um, just how this pandemic has given us an opportunity, a weird, you know, a, a, a disturbing opportunity to rethink the future, to sort of expand the Overton window or whatever. Um, and I think I think that's that sounds like one that would maybe help you get your head around it. Um, yep. To, but don't and, read it so, in yeah. the evening. You don't want to dream about it. It's <laughs> okay. not uplifting. <laughs> Got it. Unsurprisingly, not uplifting. I am ready. No problem. Um, well, uh, maybe we should transition to a person Something who uplifting. I believe will be uplifting and <laughs> also who is um, really a wonderful person at thinking about, um, you know, these kind of scale systems issues. Um, we have Lynn Simon with us today from Google. We're so excited to have you, Lynn. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, Lynn, we're delighted that you uh, made time to join us. Um, and I'll just do a short bio and then we can jump into some questions. Lynn is an architect. She is FAIA and a lead fellow, and she is head of real estate and workplace services sustainability at Google. She is a pioneer in the sustainable building industry, an entrepreneur, and a catalyst for change. Um, Liz has consulted on millions of square feet of sustainable projects, ranging from multifamily affordable housing to large-scale commercial and institutional projects. And at REWS Sustainability at Google, she leads a team that focuses on carbon-free buildings, circular systems, and healthy spaces and places. And I just wanted to throw in a fun fact that Lynn was actually present at the first meeting of the American Institute of Architects Committee on the Environment um, in 1990 in her capacity as president at that time of the American Institute of Architecture students and presented there about human health and design. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Lynn, why don't we start by, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about how and why you came to architecture and got interested in sustainability. What has been your path? Well, my path is that I really my father, who is 90, is an architect. And it's not that my career overlapped with his at all in, in terms of the type of work we do, but I believe his, he and my mom sharing with me places and spaces that really inspired them. When I was growing up in LA, uh, like um, Union Station, which is an incredible building, and Alvera Street, which is touristy, but if you look beyond the tourism piece, is really an important part of history of Los Angeles. And 
just being made aware of those kinds of places um, and what the importance of architecture in our lives is, is, is how I, I was, and I was exposed to architecture. And I think that's another thing. If you look, look at women in the profession, many of us have either brothers or fathers or grandfathers who were architects because what it did is it elevated the opportunity, the option to study architecture. That's not, I think, uh, given to most uh, women as we're growing up. And then in terms of sustainability, I thought I was interested in healthcare architecture. Uh, I went to Berkeley undergrad, studied environmental design and decided to, I went to University of Washington thinking I wanted to go you know, design um, healthcare facilities and hospitals. And, uh, took classes in the School of Ep or Epidemiology classes. I um, really tried to broaden my understanding of what healthcare meant and worked for a firm in Seattle uh, that focused on healthcare. And then when I started doing my graduate thesis, I started to explore, I did a hypothetical health and wellness center for Microsoft Corporation and started exploring what healthy buildings mean. And so I sort of went from health to uh, you know, health to health or healthcare to healthy that then translated into green. That's fantastic. And well, it's so interesting too, because you had that, you made that connection, the health and sustainability connection much earlier than the industry did. I mean, it, it, in many ways, the industry has come around to that, but um, you saw that connection quite early. Um, and I completely identify with your, uh, parents or, or fathers in, who are architects. My father is an architect as well. Um, and it's a fascinating um, trajectory into where you've landed now. I wonder if you could share a little bit about what you think young people should be thinking about if they're considering entering this field now. What should they be good at and interested in? Well, the thing that I love about sustainability is that it, it really attracts people from many different backgrounds. And that's, we can really, you know, mimic nature in terms of diversity. And uh, so I think that there's not a, one clear path. Um, there are many of us that come from the architecture engineering backgrounds, but I've worked with people from environmental science backgrounds. I've worked with folks with, in business backgrounds. Um, and then of course, the inter interdisciplinary nature of sustainability is that you have folks across ecology and all the, all the system, water, energy, uh, but also you have it, it cuts across from design through operations and, and facility people. And that is the kind of important thinking to um, really build upon in one's career. And in fact, um, I have a daughter who is in her freshman year in college and um, is interested in social justice. And we've been talking about what does that mean relative to environmental justice or health and well-being? because it's all really completely connected. So I would encourage young people to find their passion and, um, and then look beyond that passion to understand other perspectives and other disciplines, because I think that's the success of sustainability. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, it's the coolest thing, isn't it? That like people come from so many different paths and like ways of thinking and all of that. It's one of my favorite things about our community. Um, maybe the maybe my favorite. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, okay, so I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about your role 
at Google. I think I've said before to our listeners that I worked there and, I, and I'm always um, surprised at the qu- kinds of questions people want to know about like, how does it, you know, how does everything work at Google? Um, in particular, I think as it relates to Google's sustainability work, um, can you just explain like, where do you sit in relation to um, the other, you know, uh, the departments and other people doing things at, at Google? What's your role? So as Kira mentioned, I lead a, I lead a team within real estate and workplace and uh, but it's what the wonderful thing about my work is that I'm on a global team. And so the group that I'm in, the broader group, addresses um, any way to help support Googlers in their kind of day to day, the way they work, the, uh, their, to support their creativity, to support their um, the, the coding, to support, uh, you know, innovation in technology. Um, so it's everything from, um, you know, health, health and wellness. It's uh, the food that we, we feed um, Googlers. It's um, the events that Googlers are engaged with and we put on. Um, there's just a whole, it's, it's placemaking. It's about amenities. And the work that we do as a team is to create spaces that are, um, help support Googlers. And the work that my team leads, while we originally focused on the built environment, and we still do in terms of our, um, our facilities, both from a design through operational perspective. We're also engaged uh, cross-functionally in conversations around food and sustainability and transportation and sustainability. And that's the thing that I love at this point in my career, again, really relative to the point we made earlier about how multidisciplinary and diverse the success of sustainability is having these conversations cross-functionally so while I lead, I lead the sustainability team that is cross-functionally working across uh, these five, six areas within Google to help support Googlers. Awesome. Yes. And I can testify to the fact that it is a super cool team. Shout out to all of the Googlers out there. We love you. Uh, thanks for everything you do. Um, okay. So one thing we wanted to ask you about is... Uh, this recent project that you've had um, going on at Google called the Regen Lab. Do you want to tell us about what that is and what you've taken out of it? I, I would love to. And, you know, let me add one more thing about kind of how my team and the work we do fits in. I think it's really important. So um, as you know, Google sustain, there is Google has made re- recent announcements um, on, on carbon um, uh, through Sundar uh, Pichai, our, 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 the head of the company, um, we just released a sustainability bond um, that's incredibly significant. And so the work that we do all ladders up to the corporate-wide work that's happening. And it's all about, you know, um, accelerating carbon, advancing circularity, looking at healthy spaces and places. And so it's my, while our group is addressing sustainability, there are over 18 product areas within Google that are addressing sustainability. And I think that's really important that it's really cuts across the entire organization and the commitment is, um, uh, there's commitment at the, at the very top. And that um, of course makes our job, I wouldn't say easier, but we know we have support for the work we do. And that's pretty tremendous. Uh, yes. As far yeah, as the, thank you. As, yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Um, as far as the Regen Lab. So the Regen Lab is, um, one of the roles we serve um, is with my team and the work we do is to convene and create conversation. And we recently convened a group of people from all over the world to address the theme of 
or the, 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 the primary purpose was radical resilience beyond the perimeter. And it's to bring together um, visionaries and um, thought leaders and architects and economists and environmentalists to discuss you know, the important topics today. And the, the areas that we focused on were uh, the nature imperative, placemaking, belonging and equity, and then resilience. And it was um, six hours of virtual community and conversation. And uh, it was for us a way to start creating a community that as a community together, both internal and external to Google, can advance and accelerate um, areas to help address climate change. That's super cool. I love the idea of building community. Um, and I think it actually gets me to a question I want to ask you about Google, because that, I'm pretty fascinated by this and have been for a long time. And there's even, I think, gr a growing number of articles about sort of this, this special role that companies like Google play in, um, in, these, in, in these struggles like, uh, in particular, around climate. Um, you know, the, the company ha has, a, has different ways that it can participate than just a typical company. I think it's really important to, to recognize that, frankly, to sort of say like, hey, not every company can do everything that Google is doing for lots of reasons, but a lot of them are, you know, financially related or size related or something. Um, but Google and, and, and other companies ha have like a kind of a special way that they can participate. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you see that role and what it's like to be in that role. So the role that I, that I play in the work that we do, I think the, the special thing that really where we can be impactful, impactful is to serve as this convener. And it is um, really, for me, astounding the conversations I've had to, been able to have with people out there that are really advancing and working in the trenches relative to uh, sustainability and climate change and working with um, disenfranchised communities and indigenous communities and really um, advancing equity and trying to. And Google has a place to serve as that convener, uh, both because we have such a global, global platform. We're in 54 countries, 194 cities. We have 688 buildings. I mean, our portfolio is vast and the work we do is all about you know, thinking globally, acting locally, that lovely adage that's been around a long time. Um, but what works in India is not gonna be the same area of sustainability that works in um, you know, the Bay Area or the same focus. So we have an opportunity with our impact and scale and to convene the conversations in order to accelerate the impact that we can make. And then of course, there's the whole technology piece that we can play and um, that's a, a probably another conversation, but the, the work that, that Google is doing to address climate change relative to um, technology is uh, astounding and, 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 and is very intentional and a big commitment around how technology can improve our lives and support reducing um, our impacts on climate change. Right. That is so important. I mean, I, I love the I, I, it's fascinating. And I do think it's true, Lindsay, what you said. I think people are sort of constantly curious about Google as an entity <laughs> because it's this, you know, um, it feels like it does have a really 
special role as a corporation um, and a presence almost. Um, so it's like it's, the it's like that scene in like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, like the beginning of it. I feel yep. like I mean the, it's like I think people have that <laughs> about Google, and to some degree that's well uh, warranted. I would say that's <laughs> my favorite movie. I love that movie. <laughs> me too. Me too. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great one, but there is a ubiquity to it that makes it gives it a really unusual uh, posture in our culture, which is, I think, a little bit of what we're talking about here. Um, but so, Lynn, I wanted to build on that a little bit. I mean, so I'm curious because as a company that has been working on this topic um, in a committed and you know strong way for for years now. Um, leading in sustainability in, in many ways. Um, what has changed over the years in terms of what sustainability at Google looks like now? I mean, how has that evolved? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to focus on the work that, that is in within um, real estate and workplace services because that, that's, it's a big question. As I said, there's, you know, over 18 product areas that are addressing sustainability at Google, which I think in it, into, unto itself is a really important story. This isn't just about our buildings. This is about our hardware. You know, this is about geo. This is about all the work we do at Google. So, but to answer your question about what I think has changed from, for the work that we do, you know, it used to be that you had to educate people about what sustainability meant. And it's a very big word. And for, and for me, you really need to start breaking it down. Are you talking about energy or water, the connections between them, health, ecology, and I think the big change that I've seen, and I, when I started, you know, 25 years ago, we would do trainings through the AIA in San Francisco on demystifying green building. We had to demystify it. Well, now we see billboards up. We see the president talking about how his commitment to climate change. And I um, mean, it's just, uh, not president, sorry, president-elect, <laughs> um, you know, the, the commitment there. So it's, it's more in our conversations so the change has been, we, don't, we no longer have to be champions. We no longer have to be full-on educators. Again, we can be really guides and conveners in the conversations. We, can, we should be talking about the trade-offs. There's no perfect thing in sustainability. You have to make trade-offs. You know, what, where are you going to have the biggest impact? What's going to have the biggest influence? Who's going to care the most about the topic area? But these are in conversations. It's not a team coming to you and saying, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And if you don't do it, you know, you're not a good person. It's really about having the dialogue and collaborating in conversation together in order for people to buy in and take ownership over sustainability. We cannot do it. My small team cannot change Google and sustainability. It's we all need to buy in and have um, commitments together. And that means really having, um, talking to people on, to hearing what's important to them. That's so interesting. I think that evolution is fascinating and it does, I think you see a little bit of that in the broader, in the industry more broadly too, um, where the conversations are becoming richer and, um, you know, more about the connections between different things and how to leverage different things for multiple impacts and benefits and things like that. It's just getting a lot rather than the sort of convincing and educating side of it. It's, it's shifted into a different place, which is, it's really interesting to, to think about that. 
from the standpoint of what's happening in Google. And I love the notion of guides and conveners. I think that's really powerful. Um, Lynn, I want to ask you something that we like to ask all of our guests, which is what are you most proud of accomplishing in your work life? And this does not have to be at Google. This is more generally speaking. You know, it's, I, 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 and I have probably a couple, two, two answers I'll say. I st so the one is where my professional life has been woven through my personal life. And um, I, you know, I had my own business for 19 years, which gave me a lot of flexibility as I was raising my, as my husband and I were raising our daughter. Um, and I think that the accomplishment there, what I'm proud of is that it was not easy. It was really, really hard sometimes. And um, the, the notion that the, um, you, you know, there's no, in my mind, there's no such thing as balance between work and life. It's really, for me, it's been about more about integration and that's enabled me to raise a family and make a, a for me, make a contribution to my, in my career and to support others. Um, and so I think that that's what I'm proud of is the, that integration that I've been able to, um, I think make, but the other one, which is relative to this is the importance of mentoring and um, supporting others. And I, I think that um, I, I can look back in my career and, and today I actually am, am going to be part of a group of coaches within Google to help support younger um, team members and young, younger Googlers. Um, but throughout my career, I think that's been a, a big focus is how I've helped support even if somebody was going to leave, whether it was my company or the company I worked for af afterward, how I helped nurture that person and helped provide guidance and coaching them to be them to become help them become their best selves, even if it was antithesis to them maybe leaving my company or 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 wasn't you know they they needed to grow at that point in their life. So I I feel like that's something that I I'm proud of is um, I've been interested and in, and in done and continue to. Um, support others as they want to advance in their career and, and how it's integrated with um, their personal lives. Lynn, I'm so glad you brought up both mentoring and balance versus integration. Personally, the, the word balance has always given me a little bit of, I, I just, I don't love that. It makes me feel like we're balancing on the head of a pin. Um, <laughs> I think integration is a far better way to think about what you are describing. And as far as mentoring goes, um, I this is a good, moment for me to offer a direct appreciation for you. You have been generous with your time to so many people. I can speak from experience um, at various points. We, you've um, been willing to, you know, have a lunch and have a chat and, and it's, it's so appreciated. I, it, it's a wonderful, generous thing. Um, I think it's, um, I find it to be um, just, it's something that really bears, bears noticing and, and appreciating directly. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, that that's lovely. <laughs> I love I love these moments. It's I also think it's it is um, Kara, as you were saying, like it's it's such an it's such a thing that we need to call out in our community. And and I also find it particularly worth celebrating for people who are busy then still manage to find time to do this. Not to say that um, you know if you're not busy, it's not admirable to like be a mentor, but. Um, I think for many people, as you get busier, you make less time for that. Um, so thank you, Lynn, for, for, for showing us how it's done. Um, okay, so slightly different question. We want to move on to talking a little bit um, about, the, about the industry. Um, 
about the industry of, of as we define it, sort of in the building world, um, the sustainability industry, the sustainable buildings movement, et cetera. Um, I want to ask you where you see the major progress areas um, in terms of our progress so far uh, and where you think we haven't progressed enough, where we need to focus more. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think where I'm seeing uh, sort of how we've progressed is going to be a same answer to what we need to do more of. And so I'm, I'm in, through the region lab and through conversations and what I'm seeing out there is, you know, this, and you brought this up early, a sort of my full cycle of my life of health, you know, the conversations around health, environmental and social justice are, I think on the, are becoming more in conversations. And so um, when we were planning the region lab, we were very intentional about, um, having diverse voices, whether that was somebody who was, you know, a student versus, you know, in terms of, or somebody who, you know, had been in the, had a long career to, uh, to, to ethnicity, to, um, to gender, all the things. And, and in our industry, you have to be intentional about it. It's, it's not going to just happen because it's very easy to default to, um, you know, the top people, you know, and uh, whether they're white men or white women, um, and it's in order for us to advance the conversation, we need to hear from others. And so I think we've, we've, we are advancing the conversation around health equity and sustainability, and we need to do more of it and continue these conversations. And so I'm excited to see and hear what, where we have, where we, what we're doing, but I'm even more excited to, um, imagine where we can go when we have these kind of conversations. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm excited about that too. <laughs> Thank you for um, for believing in it and pushing in it. Um, I wonder if you can give us a little bit more of a sense of how you think that can happen more. Um, you you've been working on it. It sounds like so. Can you give us a sense like how how do we make sure that we are convening uh, more diverse voices? How does that and where, where, how do you see it sort of rippling out or starting to happen more in the, in the industry? I mean, it, it translates to as simple, something as simple as when you have a project you're going after, if you're an architect or engineer or any of the consultants within the AEC industry, and you are building a team of consultants, look beyond the standard consultant list, even if, or, and, and if it doesn't exactly what you want, then pair them up. You have every opportunity as the one who's um, sort of putting these teams together to think about having diverse teams. I am frankly so over walking into when this was when I was had was going after work in my previous career, previous career, previous life, you know, walking into a room and finding five of the same type of person, whether it was the same background, the same gender, the same ethnicity. I I'm just done with that. And so be intentional about all aspects of our lives to bring in diverse voices. And I think the AEC industry has, has been working hard at it. And I think we, when we're working on projects, um, putting together panels, uh, you know, talking to people about topic areas, doing research, think a little bit outside the boxes that we've created and um, do that, you know, radical resilience beyond the perimeter. Let's think, think differently and be intentional about it. And it's, it's um, otherwise, 
it's just not, it's, we're not going to advance equity within um, our profession. Yeah, totally. Agreed. I, I actually, I really like this. This is a slightly different angle, I think, than people usually think of this question of diversity and inclusion and, and, and convening groups. This idea that if you have a lot of the same type of person in a room, then you've wasted, uh, you've wasted an opportunity um, or you haven't done it right. Uh, you know, people tend to sort of think like, oh, well, let's make sure we get other perspectives into our room of peers, you know, of exact similar people. <laughs> but mm. I think, I think that, you know, I, I, I've, I've been trying to do that a little bit in my own work recently to really say like, no, we only need, you know, one white male architect over the age of 65 in this room. Uh, it's okay to have a group to, that is perceived as a bunch of leaders, but there's <laughs> it's only one of those, you know? <laughs> uh, and I, I think, I think, uh, I think it's nice the way that you frame it. Um, so, so speaking of um, these diverse groups of people, I'm very curious to find out uh, who you are most inspired by these days. Um, it could be anyone. Um, it could, you could tell us multiple people, but um, yeah, tell us about some people. So um, it was so fun putting together the Regen Lab and thinking about, you know, you only, we only had six hours to curate. This was not like a two or three day conference. We had conversations. So it was, it was a pretty tight group and, um, and had all these, you know, important intentions in terms of the diversity. And um, I'm, because of my, um, you know, Kira mentioned this, you know, involvement in the uh, AIS student um, organization. I was national president. It's really what got me into um, green buildings and sustainable buildings. And so I have a real interest in how do we support young people. And so I was really interested in um, having some youth voice. And I was um, introduced to um, this amazing young woman named Shia Bastida, who is a climate right act activist. And um, she is, has her own YouTube. She has, so she, we invited her and she did a fireside chat um, with a woman named Renee Lertzman, who is also uh, a seasoned uh, psychologist and climate expert. And the two of them had a conversation. And we started though with uh, Shia's um, video, which is called uh, Imagine the Future. And I encourage you all to, it's on YouTube, uh, take a look at it because it's about, it's her voice, but she's sharing the voice of youth. And, um, and it's, it's about climate, it's about food, transportation, buildings. It really cuts across all of the areas that are foundational and critical to address climate change. And it's two and a half minutes, less than two and a half minutes, but it's beautifully done. And she's really inspired me. Um, she's somebody that I, I got to meet a few times um, in planning this. Um, she's 18 years old. She's um, uh, just really inspired me. She probably has no idea how much she's inspired me. <laughs> and um, she is also one of the authors of one of the chapters in the book, All We Can Save, that I just started listening to uh, on Audible this morning. Um, but that's also several of our speakers at the Regen Lab happened to be. It was coincidence in that wonderful book for the, if you haven't had a chance to read it. Oh, I loved that book. Lynn, Yay. chapter, <laughs> and I, I did audio and I have the hard copy too, but audio is really fun because there's a lot of really interesting readers and mm -hmm. it was just great to hear <laughs> Janine Benyus in Jane Fonda's voice. <laughs> right. I'm in that chapter. I'm in that chapter now. <laughs> 
Oh, yay. I'm glad that got a shout out. I've, I'm, I'm embarrassed if we haven't given that a proper shout out um, yet on the show. Uh, have we, Kira, have we talked we have. about the book because, enough? Okay, we have, good. Because at the beginning, I was a little over the moon about it. <laughs> when I, was, when yeah. I first started listening to it, I couldn't stop telling everybody and so <laughs> yeah yeah good yeah this is um I'm a, I it's close to my heart uh, the women that um edited it are are both friends of mine I'm I I feel like maybe I'm not supposed to say this but I'm gonna say because I don't think we have too many people on the podcast that I was invited to write an article and that I didn't have time and I'm still so sad that I didn't submit a piece for it um they know that and I'm uh, <laughs> and I will forever feel like ah oh, man that was that was a thing I should have done, but a lot of the work, um, a lot of these women are women that are, I consider to be friends and, and yeah, like amazing human being co-conspirators um, in, in an important fight. And uh, if you haven't gotten the book, uh, go out, it's get it. It's a really wonderful book. And, um, and there's also circles now you can participate in if you're interested yeah. in reading it with other people, they have like these somewhat structured book club things that are happening. Yeah. Um, so it's it's actually a great one. Thank you, Lynn, for <laughs> reminding us that we need to properly plug this book. It's a it's a big Fantastic. deal. Um, yeah. And yeah. Lindsay, yeah. You should, Lindsay, you should make time to write the piece you would have contributed. I know, right? Yeah, I, I, I think I still will. Maybe uh, I'll, I'll, um, yeah, we'll see. They, I, I'm actually excited that the, um, that uh, the, the, the editors of the book actually just co-founded a nonprofit organization that's going to yeah. really take the book into its next phase. So, um, so there should be more opportunities for all of us to be inspired by each other and work together. And um, so, yes, um, we will hopefully get to have more convenings like like the one that uh, that Lynn has been putting together um, and do some of that important work um, that you have so inspired us to do, Lynn. So thank you. Um, and and thanks for thanks for being with us. That is um, that's all of the time that we have. We have really loved having you here. Um, it was such a pleasure. And I, you know, you, I, the both of you, I've known a long time and I really appreciate um, the invitation uh, and love talking with you both and wish you all the best uh, in the next few months. Thank you. you. You too. It's um, yeah. Sending, sending you lots, lots of love for the, for the holidays, for the, the beginnings of 2021. Uh, may we all feel some positive energy going into it. Um, and we hope that you all, uh, the listeners also feel that way. Um, thank you all uh, for being with us again this week on uh, Women in Sustainability Design the Future. Thanks again to Acuity for hosting and to you, our listeners. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Uh, stay safe and we'll see you next week.